0: This is Competition Law with Professor Karon Beaton-Wells, exploring the challenges in competition policy, law and enforcement.
1: This series looks at the impact of those challenges in a digital economy and on society overall, whether you're a citizen, consumer or competitor.
0: In this episode, Karon speaks with Professor Ruprecht Bodson from the Heinrich Heine University Düsseldorf about what's behind the German Competition Authority's proactive approach to digital platforms. So if you think of German industrial power with powerhouses like Daimler or BMW or Siemens or others, who are very strong on the industrial side, they simply fear to lose the battle in 10 years, right? Are you on the winning end of that? Are you still a global champion? Or are you someone who's only providing services to a a company called Google or something like that. So I think it's more about industrial policy or economic policy that politicians are wondering about and they see that competition law can sort of ram in that Here's Caron Beaton-Wells.
1: When we think about competition authorities taking action against large tech companies, we can't not think about the European Commission and its cases against Google in particular. But at the national level in Europe, There's also been significant developments, in Germany especially. In 2017, the Parliament introduced new provisions tightening up merger control. The Competition Agency has a controversial investigation against Facebook on foot. And now there's talk of even more far-reaching reforms, regulation for the Internet and changes to abusive dominance laws to prevent market tipping. So just what's in the water in Germany? To help us understand what's been going on and why these developments are likely to be influential at the European level and possibly even further abroad, we're joined by Professor Ruprecht Podson. And Ruprecht started out by explaining what prompted the decision to change merger notification rules.
0: I think you can say that the german legislator really did its homework after the facebook whatsapp merger Uh, this merger was of incredible significance to everyone in the field but we weren't able to control that in germany why was that because we have a turnover based threshold basically uh, the two companies merging needs need to reach certain thresholds and whatsapp basically didn't have the turnover for that so germany wasn't able to look into this merger and the new threshold means that if you buy the company for four hundred million euro or more, you have to notify regardless of the turnover of the target.
1: So it's the transaction value of the purchase.
0: transaction value of the purchase. And of course, Facebook-WhatsApp merger would have been caught under these new thresholds.
1: And as we know, 400 million is a drop in the ocean for some of the big tech companies that are swallowing up much smaller ones. Absolutely. Yeah. There's also new provisions which essentially codify the types of factors that the Bundeskartellamt was already taking into account in assessing dominance, particularly in a multi-sided market or in a network context. Tell us about those factors and whether you think they're likely to be easy to operationalize in practice.
0: There are five factors that are mentioned explicitly in the law. Network effects, multi-homing and switching costs, Economies of scale arising from network effects, access to relevant data, and something called innovation-driven competitive pressure. So it's probably just an idea of what you have to look into. Making it operational is a different matter, but of course we now have theories in economics telling us how do network effects work, for instance, or we can assess whether a platform is in a multi-homing environment as for dating platforms, for instance, or whether there's the tendency to tip to having one platform in the market. So, yes, you can really make use of that. And it's also a signpost to all users, particularly judges, who can now uh, look into the law and see, okay, this is what we basically take as given if we look into such markets.
1: How has the legal and perhaps more pertinently the business sector received these changes? Were they engaged in the debate that led up to the legislative reform and were they receptive or hostile?
0: The questions on dominance were not really controversial in Germany. So no one was really making a big fuss about it because the Bundeskartellung was applying these criteria already. But there has been some opposition against the transaction value-based threshold because uh, some people said this is basically an anti-exit law for startups because basically startups hope to be bought one day by Google or Amazon. And now it becomes more difficult because you have to go to the Bundeskartellamt, you have to notify it, you have to run through the proceedings, maybe they even prohibit your merger, then that weakening the incentives for startups to, to work. But. Honestly, I mean, with a four hundred million euro threshold, this probably catches one or two cases a year in Germany.
1: The Bundeskartellamt's investigation of Facebook has caught a lot of attention worldwide. Tell us what practices on the part of Facebook have been the subject of that focus by the authority.
0: Oh dear, you are giving me the hard questions because <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's my job,
0: Rupert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Point. So, to state the obvious first, we have a preliminary assessment only, which basically is a couple of sentences by what we know officially from the Bundeskartellam. We expect a decision 2018, but it is not out yet, and so we'll see what happens there. What the Bundeskartellam says are two things. First, Facebook is dominant in the German market for social networks with 30 million users in Germany. And secondly, it abuses its dominant position by making the use of Facebook conditional on amassing enormous data from the users. And the Bundeskartella does not focus on the data generated on the website of Facebook itself, but on third-party sites. So either WhatsApp and Instagram, which are of course owned by Facebook, that are still distinct from the Facebook network, but also on other websites where there's a Embedded Facebook API, so where you actually come into contact with Facebook basically without even knowing it or maybe without noticing it, let's say it like that. And the Bundeskartellam thinks that this is inadequate, that this is an exploitative abuse, so it's exploitative towards the users that they have to agree to conditions that even data that they leave on some third party website can be used by Facebook for their own business models.
1: Yes, and they create what I think is called a super profile on you. Well, what might be the theory of harm at play here? You referred to an exploitative abuse. Now, that's a rather distinctive European species of abusive dominance. Perhaps we could help our listeners understand what exploitation actually means in the antitrust context as opposed to exclusion.
0: Well, usually we think of exploitation as exploitative prices. So let's say you are the only supplier of bananas in the general market and you raise the price of bananas to an enormous sum, which in comparison usually to a more competitive market is overly excessive. Then we would say this is excessive pricing. This is an exploitation of customers. The problem with the Facebook case is that it's not about prices where we can more easily compare the situation of a competitive market and a monopoly market but it's with conditions business terms and probably you have to state that data protection or the respect for users data is not a thing that is followed by very many companies on the internet so what exactly makes this a case of exploitation is probably the question that most people are still looking for and we haven't learned a lot of on this matter from the Bundeskartellamt. I mean, this is a very controversial case, and I acknowledge that. And some people say things like, if you have a hammer, you see a nail everywhere, and now the Bundeskartellamt has seen a nail in data. (laughs) But I listened to a competition official from the office the other day, and he said, if other authorities had done their job properly, we wouldn't have taken up this case. And I think he was thinking of the Irish Data Protection Authority, which is the relevant authority for data protection regarding Facebook, because Facebook in Europe is registered in Ireland, and actually they have done very much on that. And maybe he was also thinking of the European Commission, because DG Competition, the competition watchdog in Europe, has approved of the Facebook WhatsApp merger, done a case on Facebook and Facebook's business practices, etc. So maybe it is a bit about also limiting powers of Facebook, because others simply haven't acted on that.
1: I think there's a general sense that competition authorities and governments are playing catch up with these data monopolies, as Maurice Stuckey calls them. And you do get a sense that the German authorities are keen now to get out ahead so they don't be caught wanting And the Facebook investigation certainly seems to be setting a new frontier in that regard. I know we're all going to be watching with great interest to see what comes out of it.
0: I think this proceeding has a political angle to it as well. In Germany, there are discussions on whether this should be a, say, digital regulation agency for the Internet or something like that. And this is something where competition people and the Bundeskartellamts people in particular have incredible reservations because if you have a competitive mindset, you don't want a regulatory body in Germany overseeing the Internet. That can only go in the wrong direction. So if the cartel proves that it can remedy problems of data protection, consumer protection, and competition, probably this silences the people in government and parliament who want a digital regulation agency.
1: That's fascinating. The competition authority setting out to persuade policymakers and politicians that they've got this covered. No need for regulation. What types of regulatory measures do you think are in mind? I read the other day, possibly the imposition of a fee on digital platforms for using media content in an attempt to preserve quality journalism, or are there some other matters that seem to be the subject of consideration?
0: There are regulatory measures out in discussion already on the European level. You mentioned trying to get the companies paying for media content that they redistribute or that they publish or that they pre-write on, if you want so. Also, uh, there is initiatives going on regarding uh, platform regulation. Most of this is currently related to, say, transparency. So if you, for instance, rank your search results in a certain way, you have to tell users, oh, these search results are ranked by an algorithm. This algorithm is determined by certain factors, maybe also by the money that we get from the companies, etc. So there is some... There, but of course, their voices heard now. That transparency is not the solution to the problem, as we know from other fields of the law, obviously. And we need to be stricter. We need to forbid Google the self-preferencing, as the Commission did in the Google Shopping case, or we need to be more active against what Amazon does with its marketplace traders or others. So they want the clear rules in the sense of prohibitions what these companies are allowed to do and what they are allowed to do. And there are initiatives going on on that, what we call platform regulation. Of course, you can imagine a lot of things once you start into this path.
1: How about the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation? How has that been received in Germany by the Bundeskartellamt for a start and by the business sector?
0: The Bundeskartellamt says that in the Facebook case, they work closely together with the data protection authorities. These data protection authorities, we have to say, are pretty weak at present in Germany and also in many other parts of Europe, so they are not the aggressive watchdogs as the Bundeskartellamt is, or they determined watchdogs. The issue of data protection and what it really means for competition to have this rather strict regulation has not yet been really looked into, I think, so I don't know if I see formal opinion of the Bundeskartellamt on that. Uh, what the business community was soon out when the regulation came into force because this was seen as a bureaucratic hassle, basically, by most people. Or they feared that this gives rise to a lot of cases dealing with petty things like you forgot to mention something on your website. So the business community was really very much opposing this. And actually, we are still now seeing how it develops in practice. Many companies have updated their websites and have taken certain measures. And now we have to see whether there's really a wave of litigation Particularly against small and medium sized enterprises, which would be problematic. So, while Amazon and Facebook probably have enough resources to take care of being in a safe harbor there.
1: It's certainly a difficult balance to get right. And the German government and authorities are, are not content to stop there. There's been this major report released on potential reforms to the law on abuse of dominance arising out of a study by a group of scholars. First of all, tell us, who are the authors of this report, Ruprecht?
0: It was commissioned by the Ministry of uh, Economic Affairs in Germany. They asked these three professors to provide a study on how could we reform the law on abusive practices.
1: And tell us just generally, are they looking to wipe the slate clean and rewrite the law on abusive dominance, or is it more a question of filling the gaps?
0: This report, in my view, is really more like having small incremental suggestions of what we could do with the law on abuse. So many people had expected that there's something really disruptive coming out, but most changes that they propose, it's some more like alterations to the existing framework, but it's not absolutely revolutionary or breathtaking change. The core idea of it is really how do we tackle the changes in the digital economy now? So how do we work with all the big data issues, the platform issues, the network effects issues that are coming up.
1: As I read it, or I should confess, as I read your excellent summary of it, the idea behind the recommendations are that we need to prevent monopolization from arising, or at least to nip it in the bud, rather than trying to play catch up afterwards and deal with its effects. How do the authors propose the law be changed to address that concern?
0: Yes, that's indeed a a key factor and probably something which is very difficult to put into practice, even if you have the norms. I think there are three points that we may mention in this regard. The first is they want to introduce a new threshold for, say, dominance, saying that dominance cannot just arise from the current ideas that we have on dominance, but there's also the idea of intermediation power. So if you are the gatekeeper, for instance, as a platform, to others that may be a new category of market power or a clarified category of market power. The second is, they propose to have a new group of abuse cases saying something like, if you take actions to tip the market, so to lock in consumers hinder multi-homing, play out your network effects to the extremes, that could constitute an abuse, something which into the area of exclusion but which would be more specific and would probably be a bit earlier than hindering competitors as we have it now in the laws. And the third issue relates to merger control where they suggest that companies with deep pockets who have a strategy to buy off their competition should be stopped from doing so. So the Facebook WhatsApp case which was approved of by the European Commission you could easily say that oh maybe this is a case where Facebook bought off a potential future rival and if this is a part of a strategy this could be a case where we want a criterion to stop that that's basically the three issues that they propose in this regard
1: interesting and conceptually one can understand the thinking behind those types of proposals but again i'd suggest that operationally those are going to pose some challenges There is a whole chapter concerned with issues arising out of refusals of access to data and when such a refusal might constitute an abuse. What does the report say on this topic?
0: I think that this is the most exploratory chapter of the report. I have the impression that the authors themselves are still on a discovery procedure. As are we all. (laughs) Exactly. So... Everyone's basically talking about access to data. If you listen to European companies these days, what they tell you is, oh my God, we need access to data, otherwise we are lost in the future. And the best case for that, for instance, is autonomous driving or connected driving of cars. So who gets the data? How can you make the real step forward if not everyone puts the data into a pool where everyone can have access to? On the other hand, Maybe you don't want that Google has access to that pool because then German or European companies fear that, again, this business will be monopolized by Google. So access to data seems to be a very tough issue. And in essence, what the report says is, let's watch this space. Maybe there is something to do in the future, but we have no idea yet whether it's really necessary. I think first that this is not so much a competition question, but a regulatory question, because if you think of the cases that we have in competition law, on denial of access, for instance, to the use of patents. These are enormously complicated and long-taking cases that end up in endless debates on the exact remuneration, etc. So I don't really see a competition agency dealing with access to data on a large scale. So probably the authors are right in saying this may be an issue for legislation, but maybe much for competition legislation, but for regulation of, say, industrial cooperation in, uh, for zero.
1: Isn't it the case that Andreas Nalles, the head of the Social Democrats in Germany, has in fact proposed a data for all statute? Is this what you're referring to by way of potential regulation? The plans
0: of Andrea Nalles are rather unspecific. I think it's more a political statement like, we need access to data for everyone. And maybe She did not have a very clear picture of what that would entail, actually. How do you organize that? And how do you solve problems of interoperability? How do you remunerate someone who has generated data? What do you do with personal data? So there's a whole lot of complex issues surrounding that. But this political statement by the leader of the junior partner in government shows that there is a really strong political debate on that in Germany as well. And everything that we see in competition law, in competition policy, whatever happens there, you always have to relate that to the fact that this is highly politicized. So just politicians really tell us, we need to use competition law now. So for decades, we haven't seen that much involvement of politicians with competition law as we have now. And I think they see competition law can be a very powerful tool. Wow, there is someone handing out a huge fine against Google. So they have discovered that there is a tool that seems to work somehow. And so they jump into the field. But if you're a competition or expert, as we claim to be, you probably also see a lot of problems with the high expectations that are placed on competition nowadays.
1: Indeed. And, of course, fines of the scale imposed by the European Commission on Google might well be seen as an attractive source of potential revenue for a government, but that's taking a cynical point of view. Is it more a question of ideology and the fact that for at least some parties, there is political capital to be gained from being seen to clamp down on large, powerful private companies?
0: Certainly, there is a feeling in larger parts of the population that see that there's something happening and you want politicians to react on that. But honestly, I think that a large part of that is also due to simple economic policy arguments. German companies, European companies are not the companies providing the platforms. They are the companies supplying goods and services to a large degree. So if you think of German industrial power with powerhouses like Daimler or BMW or car manufacturers, for instance, or Siemens or others who are very strong on the industrial side, they simply fear to lose the battle in 10 years, right? Are you on the winning end of that? Are you still a global champion, or are you someone who's only providing services to a car company called Google or something like that? So I think it's more about industrial policy or or economic policy that politicians are wondering about, and they see that competition law can sort of remedy that. This is not to say that they are abusing competition law for that, but I think it's just the prominence that competition law nowadays has. It has something to do with the perception of German companies that they need to compete with the Silicon Valley tech giants in a better way.
1: But, of course, you would have heard the outcry from the U.S., including from the Oval Office, that the European Commission is anti-U.S., that it's engaged in digital protectionism. Do you think there's any element of geopolitics at work here?
0: Uh, Do we really need to discuss (laughs) the Oval Office? No, Um, let's
1: leave him out of it. (laughs) But he's not alone in making that complaint, of course there are many in some intellectual quarters of the U.S. who would make the same argument.
0: When I started in competition law, I mean, it was the most normal thing, say, 15, 20 years ago, that a European competition watchdog goes against U.S. companies. So if you think of the merger of G.E. Honeywell, for instance, that was prohibited in commission, no one complained at all. So I think it tells us more about the perception of Politics and of economics these days, than it, and about polarisation in the West, basically, than about what really happened or changed in competition. There's one other thing I think. A lot of the criticism relates to Margrethe Vestager, the European Competition Commissioner, going against Apple and Starbucks and other companies for tax avoidance schemes. This is a matter of state aid law, which actually falls into the portfolio of. Mission Vesta, but which is not part of, of competition. If you look into competition enforcement, I hear people saying, oh my God, Europe really clamps down on these companies. But actually, what do we do? We have three investigations in Google. We have the Facebook investigation in Germany against Facebook by the Bundeskartellamt. And that's essentially it. I mean, is that a down on the new tech giants? Is this Injuring the Silicon Valley and making money, I mean, that's not much for having five companies, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon and Facebook, with such an enormous economic and financial power. I think it's pretty normal that we have an investigation there or that there is a case on abuse of dominance. I mean, this would be normal and it's not like this is a huge battle fought by the
1: Europeans. I think what is at work here, though, too, is the juxtaposition of relatively little, if any, action on part of the US authorities as compared to the action on the part of the European Commission specifically. And that's led some to explore what you might regard as philosophical or ideological differences underpinning competition law in each of those jurisdictions. You'd be aware, of course, in the US, there's a very vigorous debate going on about continuing adherence to the consumer welfare standard and an oppositional movement that's been branded by some as hipster or neo-Brandeisian. Can you just give us the benefit from someone in Europe steeped in European and German competition law, which has been very influential across Europe? In a nutshell, what do you think are the underlying differences in terms of the goals of competition law between the two?
0: Well, first of all, I think that if we speak about hipster antitrust, first of all, I have to remark that Well, as far as I remember, the competition commissioners in the EU and Germany have always been very well-groomed and not long-bearded and have not drunk smoothies or something. In my view, we have a strange situation at present because Germany has always been rather reserved against a purely economic approach or a strict consumer welfare approach. The European Commission has much better tried than Germany to to reach out to this sort of U.S. post-Chicago style of enforcement, though they have integrated more economic consumer welfare orientation into their decisions, or at least their rhetorics have been like that, I think in practice much less than in their rhetorics. Now, funnily, is that the commission tries to back down from that. So the commissioner and people from the commission now always use the word fairness, which is probably opposed to... An
1: economics approach.
0: economics approach. So I think they are retreating a bit because they see that cases like Google is and other cases are much harder to fight if you really have to go into an economic analysis and the consumer welfare analysis because it's, it has to do with these new markets and difficult phenomena. Now, at this very moment of time, where in the US people become critical of the consumer welfare approach, where Germany largely stuck to a more form-based approach, and where the EU Commission turns from some economics back to some more, say, fairness approach, or whatever you may call that, at this very point of time, the Court of Justice in Europe comes out with the Intel decision telling the European Commission you have to look more into economics, which puts everyone into an awkward position nowadays. So, in general, I think that in Germany, we have followed a much more grounded, much more politically and culturally grounded idea of antitrust in the past decades. So, competition law was a founding pillar of the European Union project. Ever since the first days in the 1950s, when the European countries came together, we had competition law at the core of that in the first treaties we had. The same is true for Germany, where after the Second World War, after the end of fascism, competition law was a cornerstone of our Economic system. So it always had a certain notion of peace, of culture, of civilization, etc. While probably in the US it has been more instrumental, at least in the past decades, in the sense of either you give us the right results or, or we do away with you. And this is a really fundamental difference between the US and the EU. Maybe not in everyday practice, but when it comes to the marginal cases, this may really play
1: out. It's fair to say, isn't it, that the historical experience in Germany post-World War II very much shaped thinking around competition law and its objectives, and in particular the imperative to constrain power, whether that be public power or private power, whereas in the US there is strong faith placed in seeing power in itself not as a problem, but only its potential effects of its use or abuse. Is that a fair distinction to draw?
0: I think so. Ironically, it was the Americans who basically forced us after World War II to come up with a strong competition legislation. So the Americans who liberated Germany then took some influence in German politics. They said, we need a strong market power-based competition law regime in Germany to avoid companies having so much power that they can strongly be aligned in politics, as had happened before the war, when Hitler was coming to power, not least with the support of some cartelized and conglomerates who were very German economy. So uh, I think that the experience of these years was very important, and the group of people who then shaped German competition, law and who were very influential, actually, also for the European competition, law. Group of people who we call the Ordoliberalists liberals from basically the University of Freiburg in South Germany. But these people, the Ordoliberalists, liberals, they had very strong beliefs in a competition law regime that opposes market power, that gives legal certainty to investors, to companies, to consumers, so that you have a clear framework, a clear order, as they called it, for the economy. And they were rooted in certain philosophical, religious, cultural concepts. These were very sophisticated people. They were very strongly believing in the economy as a part of a society that functions in a way that is free and that is culturally minded, as opposed to what we had seen during Nazi times.
1: Yes, certainly. And those who subscribe to the neo-Brandeisian movement in the US would make a similar argument that competitive markets are very much integral to a liberal democratic order and yet the consumer welfareists or the Chicagoans would say, let's keep those societal, those cultural considerations out of it. Let's stick to the pure economics. I must say for myself, I've always thought that those distinctions between the economic and the social are fairly artificial ones. Let's just come back to the report briefly, Ruprecht. Do you think there was anything that was left out of the report that would be really pertinent in this space?
0: If you reform abuse control, I mean, we have very, very vague and very broadly framed rules in the books. If you look at Article 102 of the Treaty Function of the European Union, it basically says the abuse of dominance is prohibited. And that's it. So you can do a lot of stuff with that, I suppose, if you're courageous enough to try. problem is that actually, we have very, very few abuse proceedings in Germany and in the EU. I mean, it's one or two or three or let it be five landmark cases that we look into, but it's not changing the economy. This is not really dealing with a lot of matters. And then you have proceedings like the Google Shopping case that takes seven years. So seven years in which Google can do basically whatever they want to still under investigation of the European Commission. And seven years after all these companies have already exited the market, we finally come up with a decision This is a system which simply doesn't work if you are fair. So if you really want to use competition law and if you really want to work with the abuse provisions, you probably have to come up with reforms of enforcement. You have to have tougher enforcement in the sense of it needs to be sped up, it needs to be quick enforcement, and you also would need interim decisions or decisions that help quickly and in a tough way so that at least some behavior stops and not just after seven years. So I thought that large chunks of the report would be on how can we use the abuse of dominance provisions in a smarter, in a faster way. But actually, there's nothing on that in there. And if we do just one landmark case against Facebook in three years in the EU, I wonder whether all the substantial changes in the law will be of much help.
1: What about private enforcement, though? Do you think it holds much promise in terms of holding the large tech companies to account? Or is it really naive to expect that smaller companies would take on one of these giants?
0: The problem with private enforcement is, of course, you always need some company that is strong enough and that is financially well-equipped that they can take on a company like, say, Amazon. And of course, in these cases, if the companies are involved in the ecosystems of Google, Facebook, and Amazon, and they simply cannot afford to lose that ecosystem, and I think it would be pretty normal if, say, you go against Amazon, Amazon goes against you in some way. But on the other hand, there are some cases like that. I mean, we have seen a case on Google Maps in the UK private enforcement arena. So if you have a courageous claimant You can always have private enforcement and private enforcement could be much quicker and there could be more cases like that, but you probably need to be happy to take the risk.
1: I think the unavoidable conclusion is that you need both private and public enforcement. We can't put all our eggs in one basket. Actually, there is
0: something in private enforcement that we look upon with some interest and that is collective actions by consumer associations, for instance. So just to give you one example, One of the key German consumer associations stopped the Amazon Dash Button, which is a tool by Amazon where you can automatically order products just by pressing a button. And they said this is a violation of consumer protection, this is a violation of unfair contract terms, legislation, etc. Because the terms of Amazon read that basically when you click the button, you can be delivered whatever Amazon seems fit for you and not what you have previously ordered when you programmed the dash button for the first time. I just mentioned that, even though it's not a competition law case, because there is some power to consumer associations. Maybe they are in a better position than just private companies to sue also for violations of competition law, but they have not yet been that very active in that field. Mm
1: -hmm. Do you think the report is likely to be influential across Europe more broadly, or will it be seen as a bit of a frolic on the part of Germany?
0: I think that Germany has a double role here. On the one hand, I think that the German authority and the legislature, they try to be pioneering, really. And they try to be seen at the forefront of what's happening in digital markets, taming the giants, as we often call that. And that's a political aim. That is something that earns them some credit in Germany, where the public expects that in, in a way. But I think they also have the second motivation, and that is the European outreach, and in particular, with a view to what happens next year in 2019 in Europe. In 2019, we have the elections to the European Parliament, and after that, there will be a new European Commission, and the new European Commissioner for a competition, whomever that will be, will get a briefing. And in that briefing, the President of the European Commission will give to the Commissioner some ideas of the law should develop. And of course, in Germany, everyone knows, everyone in charge at least knows that, of course, enforcement at the European level and the laws on the European level are more important than our national laws in this field of the globalized digital environment. So I think that the report and every kind of action that we now take in Germany is really a preparation as a model legislation for the European level. And I think that, for instance, the transaction value-based threshold and merger control is something that the European Commission will soon adapt as well once they've seen that this works in Germany and Austria, who have that. And the same thing will happen maybe with other provisions. And finally, what I like about these enforcement actions and all these activities in the competition law realm is that if we don't do it, maybe someone else does it. And if the competition people don't stand up and say, yes, there is a new kind of competition going on with the multi-sided markets and tipping markets, etc. If we don't stand up and say we can react to that with competition law, probably other people with a less competition-friendly mindset in economic policy will give us some sort of regulation that may be much harsher and maybe much more problematic from the viewpoint of sound economic principles. And this is something that I like about the current approach of the Bundeskartellamt about the approach of the German legislature and the report gives us some ideas of how we can deal with these markets and these phenomena from a position of competition with a sound economic framework. And this is not, in my view, too protectionist. This is not going against everything that we as competition-friendly people usually take as our mainstream views of things.
1: German soccer coach Sepp Herberger is known for the saying after the game is before the game. The basic idea is that one always needs to keep an eye on what might happen in the future. Seems to me that when it comes to dealing with challenges in the digital economy much the same philosophy is being adopted by the German government and competition authority. Next on competition law I talked to Jonathan Tepper, author of a new book, The Myth of Capitalism, Monopolies and the Death of Competition. The title should be enough to pique your curiosity. In the meantime, you'll find links to the various reports and decisions referred to in my discussion with Ruprecht in the show notes. And I'd also like to ask for your help. Could you just take a moment to complete the Competition Law Feedback Survey? You'll find it on the website, competitionlawlore.com. It's ultra brief. Responses are anonymous. And I would hugely value your views and suggestions on how to keep improving the podcast. Competition Law was produced by writtenandrecorded.com. And and I'm Karan Beaton-Wells. Catch you next time.